Hi, I'm Dr. Pam Peek, and welcome to episode 325 of Her, the podcast where you're going to hear the naked truth about her mind, her body, her life, and today, ah, a father's story of life, love, and loss. Yeah, a father. Yeah, we've been talking a lot about women, but how about we get a guy's voice in there too? We got to do this. We've got such a terrific show coming up. Before we begin, just know that this episode is made possible by our wonderful friends at Smarty Pants Women's Vitamins, the delicious once-a-day gummies that contain all of the essential vitamins, minerals, and omega oils customized just for women. To learn more, hop on over to SmartyPantsVitamins.com. And here's your first reminder to please click on to iTunes after this episode to rate and review the show. I love your feedback. So come on, I'll be reminding you again a little later on. All right, it's time for Her. Her. The podcast. The naked truth about women. Her mind. Her body. Her life. It's all about her. I got a pal on this wonderful episode. His name is Ted Yang. He's actually a colleague of mine. And oh boy, does he have something amazing to share with us. Now, Ted is the son of Chinese immigrants, was born in Suffern, New York, and he and his wife, you know, what can I say, have gone through an incredible journey that led him to write a book called Table for Five, A Father's Story of Life, Love, and Loss. Table for Five, A Father's Story of Life, Love, and Lost. And this is all about... I'm not even going to tell you the damn story. I'm going to have Ted do that. But just know that he's a real smart guy. What can I say? He finished his master's of engineering at MIT at the age of 21. He's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, NPR, Fox Business News. He has been an executive, the world's most successful hedge funds, has founded 13 startups and nonprofits. I'm exhausted. He is a serial entrepreneur, and most importantly, he's a father, and he went through an incredible experience. He wants to share that with all of us. Ted, welcome to the Herb Podcast. Well, thank you, Pam. Appreciate that intro. No, seriously, man. Tell us... Tell us the story. I, I, I want you to say it. I don't want to say it. This should be all about you. <laughs> well, okay. It's really not about me. It's, uh, it's actually about my children. And where all this started was about 12 years ago, my wife gave birth to triplets at 24 weeks, um, 24 weeks and five days to be precise. And as you know, Dr. Peek, and as the followers of your podcast know, 24 divided by 30, uh, divided by 40, sorry, is not a pretty long term. So they were severely premature. And that's really just the beginning of the story uh, that I tell in Table for Five. Yep. And so continue. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's still kind of mind blowing even just saying this, because one of the things that I lead the book off with is the, the thinking that I always have to do in my mind about whether I want to talk about 
my children or not because it's it is such an involved story but it is such a, a key part of who I am as you might imagine so I my wife and I were kind of you know doing our thing you know living in the in the New York metro area we had thought we were ready for a family but no one is really ever ready for triplets and certainly no one's ever ready for premature triplets and when this all started my wife and I went got our ultrasound and were hoping for twins and as it turned out to be, uh, they found three heartbeats. And that was, as you might imagine, Pam, a, a jaw-dropping moment because two to three is you know, <laughs> a lot more work. But more importantly, the odds that something would go wrong are drastically higher. And that was really the first time, you know, once it sunk in, that we realized that this was not going to be a typical ride for us. And of course, we had no idea what we were going to get ourselves into. So we were faced with a choice very early on about whether we wanted to reduce the pregnancy or not. And uh, reduce is, is a really a, a euphemism, right? I mean, it, what they do is play the odds and say that uh, when you have twins as opposed to triplets, two, two babies as opposed to three, the odds are significantly higher. Now, my wife is petite. I'm not a large guy. And so, you know, they kind of do the math and they calculate, you know, and they say, listen, if you had two kids as opposed to three, we went through that whole exercise to decide that we didn't want to. That's a personal choice. I fully support anyone who makes whatever choice they do in that regard. But for us, it was not it. And that we would fight for all three. And then it was really just hoping that uh, things would work out. Unfortunately, about a week before she gave birth, my wife went uh, to Yale where she was being treated. They admitted her. So put her on the kind of extreme bed rest regimen to try to hold off the pregnancy and, you know, 24 weeks and five days after conception, it was just not going to happen. The kids wanted out. And that's, you know, <laughs> that's where it got. That's the beginning of where it all went uh, crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's so interesting, that word expectation. You know, when people, oh, my goodness gracious, you know, when people have a begin to start a family and you've got this brand new experience happening, you want to expect everything to go well, but there's that word expectation. I think the word really is hope. I hope everything goes well. The word expectation goes flying out the window when it comes to something as random and as incredible as a birth of babies. And so there you were with prematures. Now, as everyone out there may or may not be aware, when right around the 24th week, you know, this is a critical week for lung development, there's coating in the lung called surfactant, which is absolutely required for survival. And babies have to get way beyond week 24 to be able to do that well. And when babies are born at 24, this is nothing but fraught with problems, as one can imagine. So, Ted, continue this story. And what's beautiful about listening is it's you. You know, this happened to you, and you're a dad and a husband telling this story. So continue. What happened? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting because I've told the story now several times. Of course, I tell it in Table for Five. And really, the point of it is because it's a father's story. So I appreciate you having a, a dad on, on your podcast uh, because it's not heard that often. And, and I think, you know, it's uh, as you'll hear and as you would read, the, it's different. You know, so much of a dad's experience is about trying to be strong and trying to, you know, pretend everything's okay. And this is definitely one of those situations where things are not okay. So I came rushing back to the hospital and, uh, you know, the, around uh, noon that day, and this is uh, now September 4th, 2008, the kids were born and, you know, in the kind of very large surgical theater because they knew that, you know, problems were going to come. 
And so my, my, my three children, Sophia, Raymond, and Daniel came out, you know, in the span of minutes and were whisked away, not to be seen for many hours again by me. And then actually not till the next day by my wife and, and you know, their journey began. So they each came in about pound and a half, about the length of your arm. So significantly smaller, the three, I joke that the three of them combined are way less than any of their cousins and a lot of my friends' babies. And it was a, a, a kind of a fight from the beginning. I mean, there's a little bit of a honeymoon period once they were born. But by the time we saw them, they were, you know, in their incubators. They were about to get their surfactants, as you talk about, to, to enable them to develop their lungs. And, you know, they were about to be intubated because they weren't uh, going to be able to hold and maintain uh, blood oxygen. And it was... Uh, it was surreal. I, I mean, I, as you know, we would had gone to the uh, NICU in advance because we knew that was likely where we we're going to end up. We'd taken the tour, but you cannot be prepared. And of course, listening to me, I hope most of you never experienced this, but uh, you know, one in 10 babies are born prematurely. And it's, it is unfortunately a growth thing as, you know, women uh, have children later and as, you know, whatever environmental effects kind of play their toll, there are more and more premature children. So I, I hope you, uh, anyone listening to this doesn't have this experience, but if you do, one of the reasons I wrote the book is to say that, look, there, this happens and you too can kind of go through this. So, you know, really the, the you know, I, I don't want to go through all the details in terms of the medical thing. I think they're not as interesting, but just understand that, you know, but my wife and I, you know, we're in the hospital back and forth constantly and, you know, looking desperately to try to, to gain the information we needed to be able to make the right decisions for our children. And I had a friend who was a neonatologist that we had actually met on a cruise and got very close to, significantly older because he was just retired and which was perfect because he was fully available and able to talk to me about everything. And that helped a lot because the amount of decisions, Pam, that we had to make and, you know, and completely out of context, at least my, my familiar context, not being a medical professional nor my wife, was overwhelming in those early days. God, I can only imagine as a physician, you know, it's it look, it's mind boggling enough if you're a doctor. You have to sit back and you have to strategize, plan, prepare, and all the rest of it. And that's just for the baby. And then we also have to think about the parents. You know, how are we also addressing their needs? And it's just, it's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of stuff. And so there you were with three little ones and kind of, you know, summarize what happened with the three little ones. Yeah. So a few days in, some of the children needed to be ventilated, as I said, and my son Raymond started to deteriorate. And this was, again, uh, not unexpected. You know, all sorts of problems happen with preemies. The survival rates aren't good. But once it started to happen, you know, things kind of happened fast. And he developed an infection. And, uh, you know, within days, you know, things started to, to reach a critical point. He required more and more support on his ventilator, you know, more of these details of, you know, the settings on the ventilator and the various drugs that they tried, you know, steroids and all sorts of things. Unfortunately, the battle was, was beginning to be lost. I mean, we could see that coming. And uh, I had actually uh, gone back to work, you know, interestingly enough, even with, with three kids in the NICU. Now, I still spent most of my day there, but, you know, I spent a few hours in the office just to perhaps to get away from it and then also to feel uh, a little bit more normal. And one day I got the call that my son had developed a, a grade four uh, brain bleed. And uh, for, you know, as you know, but certainly probably some of your listeners know, it's as bad as it gets. And uh, when that happens, the, you, you know, the probability of, your, of, of a normal life, of a meaningful life is very low. Uh, and so we made the difficult decision to uh, suspend life support uh, for my son, Raymond. 
And so he passed on September 11th, 2008, you know, in my wife's arms. And that was, you know, still, it's a difficult thing for me to talk about. And, it, you know, as much as we knew that this was a possibility, we, of course, weren't ready to lose a son. Yeah. And I'm, you know, we'll pause there for a minute. Look, you know, after 30 years in medicine, it's never, ever easy to think about these things, talk about them, deal with them. It is, you know, it is a precious life. What can you say? And so I just, you know, on behalf of all of our podcast listeners, our hearts go out to you for this loss. And this is the loss part of your table for five, a father's story of life, love, and loss. So let's push on then. We had this very tough experience and event. Yeah. Now what happened? You've got two children now. Yeah. Yeah. And children still fighting for their lives. And so the next day we went back to the same room, right? In the same hospital where we had lost Raymond because, you know, Daniel and Sophia were still fighting. So that's another strange thing, which I talk about at length in the book, uh, because it's how do you do that, right? And, and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm obviously a pretty analytical person. I've, you know, I'm a very rational person, but it's still, you know, n not an experience you could ever be prepared for. But we got back to work and, you know, the work of being parents and, and, and being available. And, you know, the ups and downs kind of continued for months. And so the really, you know, I'll skip ahead a little bit because it was, uh, you know, a few months later before Daniel was ready to come home. And, you know, now we're going through the winter and, you know, he, uh, women, uh, boy, uh, girls, sorry, tend to do better than boys as preemies. But in our case, it turned out to be the opposite. So, you know, through the various trials and tribulations, Daniel continued to get stronger. And, uh, you know, we were able to actually have him home, you know, for Christmas that year, which was surprising. And, you know, even then, though, you know, you talk about having children and but not actually having them in your house. Right. So it's you know, everyone, you know, kind of pictures having uh, having children and, you know, bring them home from the hospital. Yeah. And of course, we had the stuff. Right. You know, we had the, the cribs and uh, all that three. Right. And then nothing. No kids. Right. So those were a very strange three months, but able to bring Daniel home. And so that was cool. But of course, Sophia was still there. And it was becoming obvious that she was reaching a plateau and she would not be able to breathe on her own without further intervention. And we made the decision, you know, after she had some major setbacks with her airway to have her traked. And, you know, maybe people, many people may have seen what that looks like. You know, it's the, you see it in, in older patients and things like that, smokers and what have you, right? They just make a hole in your trachea, bypassing your mouth and your nose. And the uh, the trach itself is you know a piece of rubber, and uh, they stick it in there, and and you breathe through it, right? It's a tiny little hole, and the, we were re reluctant, of course, like every family would be, to do this because it turned what we thought would be you know a months long journey to get our children back to our house into probably and accurately years long because you know trachs you know they help, they certainly allowed her to continue her growth, but to get off of a trach is a, a significant event. And so Sophia was traked and she's still on her ventilator and they moved her into a different unit. So still an ICU unit, but a unit designed to deal with the reality of, hey, your kid is traked and you need to be part of that care as parents. You need to figure out how you're going to get nursing care because, uh, again, when you breathe through a tiny little hole, things can and do go wrong very often. 
And there's a whole set of maintenance that has to happen constantly and daily, you know, the various different cleanings and what have you. And then, of course, doctors and checkups and medications and all that, which pretty much meant that by the time Sophia was, and she continued to grow, right, tracking allowed her to grow and come home. And this is now May of 2009. She came home, you know, with a ventilator and requiring a 24-hour nurse into what I would call our house ICU, our, you know, Yang family ICU, which was, you know, in our family room. So, you know, ongoing, you know, uh, new adventure. And that is, you know, completely not what we expected, just to go back to that. Yeah. And so, oh my goodness gracious, this entire thing is a hell of a journey. Now you're looking at ways to be able to work with Daniel and Sophia. And that was all of 12 years ago. Take us to a point now, we're flashing forward right now to this moment today in time. What's going on with both of them? Of course. Well, the two of them are not too far from me right now because they're off this week for spring break. And uh, the, the two of them are, you know, they're, they're grown. They're 12 year olds. They're, uh, they are running and talking and doing amazing things. They are both still special needs as a result of all of the issues they've been through. They have significant developmental delays. And this is very common, you know, Pam, with uh, babies that are born premature, especially severely premature. And, you know, in their case, you know, I'd say it's between two and three years. So while they are 12, they kind of have the interaction and maturity level of, you know, maybe nine or 10 year olds, but they're in sixth grade. <laughs> Academically, they're doing uh, pretty well, all the, you know, which is amazing, but they have their issues, you know, so Daniel has autism which is a, a correlate of, of prematurity. But, you know, I've also come to discover runs in my family. And that has, you know, a, a set of challenges that are, that are around, you know, socialization and his ability, uh, you know, to function um, as a kind of an, a healthy emotional being that we, you know, are working through. And Sophia has, well, the biggest thing with Sophia is her voice. So, you know, the flash, in this flash forward, we skip through, you know, the three major surgeries that, you know, got her to be able to breathe through her mouth and her nose. And, you know, that th those three surgeries certainly did not come without, you know, well, certainly a lot of cost, but without, you know, side effects or consequences or what have you, you know, her airway is still not normal, even though it's been repaired to an extent that she can breathe through it. Her uh, vocal cords are damaged in many different ways. And so her voice, while she can speak, is, you know, soft and raspy and what have you. And she also has residual impacts from some what could have been, you know, seizures slash brain issues that, uh, you know, emerged throughout her period in the hospital where she's got significant weakness on her left side. And so she, you know, has uh, difficulty, you know, running and walking. We actually had even more surgery. I mean, this little girl has been through, I don't know, 40 or 50 different surgeries, right, in her life. And another one recently to try to, you know, restore some function to her left hand, uh, left side, really her leg, to enable her to walk and run normally, hopefully. And that's the adventure that we, uh, we live every day. And we are super thankful to be in a school district, well, that A, has had full-time, you know, in-person classes for a very long time in the pandemic, which is a, a gift, but also provides a whole host of services that my children need and, you know, have been wonderful in terms of giving them a shot at uh, a typical life. Well, tip, okay, the, again, an extraordinary journey here, Ted. Let's go to you and your wife. How are <laughs> yeah. you guys dealing with it? For real, you know, like what's going uh, on with you and your wonderful wife when, I mean, it's been one hell of a journey. What kind of a toll has it taken? What kind of joys do you find? What kind of lessons? What kind of wisdom? Let's go to that place. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm a very different person than I would have been not going through this. What do you mean? Well, I mean, and, and of course, every parent says that, and it's true of every parent. For me, what I mean is it's blindingly obvious to me that I needed to be more real about myself, like what makes me happy, how I work, how our family works, you know, what's important to all of us to a degree that is unexpected, right? Again, every parent expects to have to change things and no parent is ever prepared for it, right? (laughs) But the degree of this is just massive, right? So one major change is that I became an entrepreneur. I couldn't go back and work for, you know, the man, you know, it it wasn't so easy just to give up. But, you know, a couple of years afterwards, I, I, I found it you know, companies. And as you know, I just haven't stopped. And that is that kind of ability to take risk, for example, that kind of ability to kind of trust in my own, you know, judgment and what I wanted to do that really wasn't part of the cards. I mean, I, you know, I, as the son of immigrants, you know, you know, Chinese immigrants who, you know, you know, ran from the communists to Taiwan and then went, moved to America, like, you know, for the hope of a better life, you know, was made very clear to my, you know, from a very young age, there are very few acceptable things you can do, but you need to go make a ton of money and get, you know, get yourself into a good secure place because that's why we came here. And I was on that path, you know, as a hedge fund guy or what have you. And for me to give that up and, you know, start companies with a significantly massive amount of risk because that's what I wanted to do because that's where I thought I could make the most impact in in the case of my nonprofits is not something my parents truly understand, not even now. But it's not something that I really thought I would do, A, but I wouldn't have done if it wasn't for my children because it, it enables me to be the kind of person that I need to be so that I can be the kind of parent that I need to be, if that makes sense. Oh, I think that that makes all the sense in the world. You know, it, it's an extraordinary thing, this journey of life, right? It, it's just extraordinary. When you sit down and when you laugh at all the, and I quote, expectations, there's that expectation of making oodles of money, working away. You forgot about the part about like, you have to be a doctor. Just kidding. So, you know. <laughs> no, they, they didn't want me to be a doctor. I That's true. knew it. See, <laughs> I see. They always throw that in there somewhere. It's like, and why can't you be a doctor? And you're like, have you not read anything? No, but anyway, <laughs> you know, there are all these crazy expectations people have in life. And, you know, there's an amazing book, which you may have read called The Four Agreements. And this book is just absolutely seminal. And it was written by a a Mexican physician philosopher whose name is Ruiz. And this thing has been around since God knows when. I don't know how many decades. It's, It's basically a classic in its time. Bottom line, there's a, I think it's like number three of the four agreements that says never expect anything. Instead, just use the word hope. I, you know, I expect it to be absolutely beautiful tomorrow in terms of weather. Well, they don't pay these guys enough. So the weather guys screwed up somehow, you know, it's like, Hey, what about that rain? And so what you say is, you know, I hope it's beautiful tomorrow. I'm kind of looking at all the data and it's trending in the right place, but you know, you never know. So I hope everything goes well, you know, hope, hope. Right. And it, I also came up with an interesting phrase in one of my very first books that I wrote, and that was the greatest stresses of life come from unmet expectations. Mm. So 
whole lot of broken hearts out there. You know, I expected mm. to get that promotion. I expect you as my son to love me. Yeah, well, anyway. And then, <laughs> you know, and, and there's this whole game that gets played around that. And, you know, your whole journey just is all about this, you know, in the back of your mind, you keep, you're smart, you're incredibly smart and strategic. And you say, well, now I don't want to get caught up in all kinds of crazy ass expectations. And already I can see your mind kind of going like a, uh, a million miles a minute when you were told that you had triplets. And I was like, oh God, okay, now let's look at risk. Let's look at what's going to happen here, you know, and already you're like wrapping your head around it. And so here we are. And I think this is an incredible lesson in at so many levels. One of the first levels of all is clearly, you know, to just let go of expectations and just go with whatever you got and optimize the experience, no matter what it is. The other thing too, is you're also, you get an A plus in adapt and adjust. My two favorite words that go right along with resilience, you know, the ability to adapt and adjust no matter what you get thrown your way. And you did it. Is it easy? No, no one ever said it was. Uh Oh, another expectation. What you did was amazing. And that is you love and support your children that you see that they are in their own special way, perfect and beautiful and amazing. And the whole experience is the same way. You know, I'm one of those realistic optimists. So I got a little piece of both of those things. I got a foot in each one of those sandboxes. And, uh, you know, where you just say, you know, you can't be happy, wappy, that's silly. And you can't be a jerk either. So I, I just love listening to the way you talk about this because I could also hear in your voice just a truckload of love. And, you know, when you talk about a father's story of life, love, and loss, we understand the loss. Talk to us about the love. Yeah. And I, I it, you know, first of all, I, I really agree with what you say. I think that, and I got to check out that book because it's, it definitely does fit right? You definitely, the expectations, they get you every time. And the love certainly is in many different forms here. You know, I, it constantly surprises me that my wife is able to put up with my, my BS. You know, I'm not the easiest person to live with. And, uh, you know, the, <laughs> we were certainly tested, sorely tested by our whole adventure. And, uh, you know, the interesting part is that things didn't really blow up between the two of us. We didn't have a chance to blow up. We couldn't let it blow up while Sophia was still in medical danger, you know, which was four years. It was after that that you know my wife and i went through some tough times but we've come through it and i think we certainly do understand it and there's part of that unconditional love for your family um and there's part of that that's you know the love of working with people together you know to overcome these ridiculous things and and the, how everything that develops and i for my children you know the to be you know again perfectly honest which i talk about in the book no one could have expected this right and i still have problems, <laughs> understanding that my expectations are just completely and utterly wrong, right? When you think about having children, you think about, you know, the playing catch or whatever, you know, having the kid follow your footsteps or, you know, in my case, making up for all the mistakes I made, you know, in high school or whatever. None of that, right? None of that is going gonna, is gonna to be uh, with my, my children's path. And I have come to be as good with that as I can and more so every day because they are themselves very special and you know the love i have for them includes making them you know the, the people that they can be and that is not the person that they're not there for me right that's not the person that i would have thought of it and that, you know what that's i think it 
all parents have to come to this conclusion, right? All parents have to, at some point, let go. It tends to be not until they, you know, are adults on their own, kind of let go of the fact that, you know, Johnny's never going to, you know, whatever, uh, follow your footsteps. But this case, you know, Daniel and Sophia each are going to chart out their own paths. And, you know, my, what I need from that is not as important as what they need from that. And that, that is this is kind of the love that has been developed. And I think is, you know, it's hard one, you know, to get there. You know, as I, I hear you loud and clear and wow, it, your voice is so clear. Your, you know, metaphorical voice is so clear. I have one last question for you. How's your journey been relative to your wife's journey? You know, is this, is this kind of a different gig with men and women, with dads and moms? I know you obviously can't, as it were, you know, speak for her, but you know, you kind of know the general gist of where I'm going. Was it different? Yeah. First of all, I wanted her to write the book, right? So she's the history major. She went to liberal arts college. I didn't. <laughs> I'm the engineer. I wanted her to write the book. And I, I think that, you know, at some point, maybe she'll be comfortable with, with sharing her voice more. I, I do know, obviously, it's been very difficult for her to, you know, not have this go the way that motherhood should have gone. You know, even simple things of taking your children home and kind of tucking them in at night and things like this. And of course, obviously, the loss of Raymond. I, I know it's obviously been very hard for her. It's, you know, as much as I had issues with trying to figure out what my identity is when it was no longer, you know, the path that I thought it was and how I could deal with the kind of powerlessness, which is not a good thing for me, right? I'm very much a control person. I'm very much like to understand things. It's difficult for me to acknowledge I can't. And of course, the same is true for her. I mean, and I think that there are definite differences. I think that certainly from an external standpoint, society expects very different things from a mother and a father when they go through things with their children. Very simple one is, you know, the husband gets asked how the wife is doing, right? As an opener, right? Not as the second question, as, as the first question. Like, oh, you lost a kid. How is your wife doing? Right. Yeah. Like, what about me? What am I, chop liver? Right. Well, kind of. Right. And, you know, the kind of expectation is like, well, of course you're fine. Or like, if you're not okay, well, get over yourself because your wife is the one that needs help. Right, buddy? And of course, true. Right. But, but skipped over. And, and that, that part of it, you know, some heard someone else kind of talk about it as like the kind of forgotten parent in grief terms which is interesting. And I don't mean to say that there are no services for dads and, and I mean to say that, you know, medical and mental health professionals, social workers ignore dads. That, I, that's not it. It's that I, I think that, you know, men are, are terrible at articulating their emotions and are already kind of, you know, giving everyone the Heisman without any help. And therefore, you know, the building that extra bridge is part of it and is, is, is kind of missing. And, and men don't talk to each other about it. And, you know, that is missing. And that, ultimately is what drove me to put the book out there. When I started writing it, it was kind of this cathartic thing for me. I know with some, maybe some idea ultimately would be published, but then ultimately, you know, putting the book out there, you know, talking to people like yourself and, you know, just making myself open and vulnerable to this was because dads don't do it enough. And, you know, is the, you know, again, I, I'm no poster child. Like I'm certainly not, my circumstances are very unique. Everyone's are. I am no way saying that I speak for dads, but I speak for this dad. And that's something. And it certainly, you know, I, I think it was, was ultimately why I did it. Okay, women out there, you tell those dads permission to share. 
That's what I mean. It's very militaristic here. You know, permission to share for crying out loud. That's one of the reasons why I had you on, Ted. Seriously, in addition to being an absolutely beautiful book, I really feel like you're exceptionally articulate at messaging this. And I think that you should be and already are an advocate for, you know, dads out there who go through this kind of experience, no matter what, with their children. In your case, it was your own unique experience, but there's plenty of others, God knows, countless. And I think that men really need to feel like they have a voice and that it's going to be heard and that they don't want to be passed over, that it's really a shared experience. Mom and dad, come on now. It's, It's both, and men tend not to step up and to share. So permission to share to every single dad out there. Ladies, you heard me. Have a convo with the guys in your life and tell them to start opening their their little mouths and sharing here because this is so important if we're going to get anywhere. Come on now. All right. So what we've done here is amazing. I just love it. We've heard a man's voice, a dad's voice, as he articulates an incredible experience. The name of the book is Table for Five, A Father's Story of Life, Love, and Loss. And the author is Ted Yang. Ted, where can people find the book? Amazon is, is the easiest place. If you go to Amazon and uh, you know type in Ted Yang, Table for Five, you'll get it. I also have a, a book site that you can go to, which is pdhelp.com, P-E-D-I-H-E-L-P.com. And uh, you can find it uh, there as well. Oh, fantastic. Ted, I cannot thank you enough for being on the Herb Podcast. I think you've touched all of our hearts. And I think we got some women out there feeling like real activists now, like, you know, having a convo with their the males in their life. Like, come on, step up here. If Ted can do it, you can do it too. There you go. No question about it. Seriously, Ted, thank you for being on the Herb Podcast. Thank you so much, Pam. I I really appreciate you letting me share my story with your listeners. Awesome. All right, everyone out there, run to iTunes right now, rate and review the show because I want to hear from you. Why? Because I'm Dr. Pam Peek, host of the Herb Podcast. Follow me on Facebook at Dr. Pam Peek or Twitter and Instagram at Pam Peek MD. And remember to catch every single episode of the Herb Podcast on iTunes or Radio MD. Thanks for listening today. Hey, listen, stay safe and stay well.